In 2017, a first-year student at the University of California San Francisco School of Medicine died from a heroin overdose. Analyzing the events that led up to the student's death, faculty members found that many clinicians who'd interacted with him during his remission from opioid use disorder and his subsequent relapse had provided well-intended advice that ran counter to evidence-based medicine. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Catherine Lucy, Vice Dean for Education at the UCSF School of Medicine. Dr. Lucy has co-authored a perspective article about how medical schools can support students with opioid use disorder. Dr. Lucy, in your perspective article, you describe several ways in which the guidance and the treatment provided to the student, whom you call Mr. J, didn't constitute best practice. Why do you think there wasn't more awareness of the warning signs that he exhibited or more concern that he could be in danger? The period of time of warning signs for this particular student was very short. He actually presented with abnormal behavior less than 36 hours before he was found dead. And the people around him who recognized abnormalities in his performance and his behavior actually did help him access care. But people didn't consider the possibility that a high-functioning medical student might be abusing a substance like heroin. Since his death, have you heard from administrators at other schools about concerns about their own students? Is this an issue that you think other institutions are also facing? I think that other institutions may be facing it and may not be aware of it. The peak of opioid use disorder occurs in individuals between their late teens and early 30s, is more common in men, is more common in Caucasian men particularly when you're talking about introduction to opioids through prescription opioid medications. And if you just look at the peak of that epidemiology and compare it to the types of individuals who go to medical school, we should be concerned that there may be students who we are admitting or who we have admitted who could, in fact, suffer from the opioid use disorder. So I think it's really imperative that medical schools begin to put in place ways in which they are prepared to deal with the possibility that someone within their school environment may actually be suffering from this disorder. So in your article, you describe several structural interventions that could help prevent future overdose deaths. How should schools identify students who have opioid use disorder or are at risk for it? And then what steps do you take once you've made that identification? That's an excellent question. And one of the things that we hope people take away from this perspective about this tragedy that our community suffered and the loss that his parents and his friends suffered is that stigma kills. And when we stigmatize people for what we know to be a chronic brain disease that has complex roots in genetics and environment and opportunity, it drives it underground and makes people hide from care. And uh, that was certainly the case with this student. He actually had confided that he was very careful about where he applied to medical school to make sure he wouldn't be asked about whether or not he had a history of opioid use disorder. And he was reluctant to disclose his opioid use disorder to anyone who might have been able to help him access appropriate care. And as we analyzed this through deep conversations with his parents, people who saw him during the last 24 hours of his life, and others in our field who are experts in opioid use disorder, what became very clear to us that was that if we truly believe opioid use disorder is a complex brain disorder, then we need to treat it like any other chronic serious illness and urge students to disclose to trusted administrators and trusted clinicians who can help them get the type of evidence-based care they need. Taking care of an opioid use disorder individual who's also pursuing a medical career or any career in the health professions is medically and legally complex. 
because at some point in time, people attempt licensure and will be asked about whether or not they've had a history of opioid use disorder. So it's incumbent upon us to make sure that students, residents, or faculty all have access to the very best treatment. And for many, that will be medically-assisted treatment, which has been shown to be more effective than simple abstinence treatment. And also help them recognize what it means to have had a history of opioid use disorder in terms of subsequent licensure. In regard to treatment, in a related perspective article, Boletsky and colleagues discuss the restrictions that have been placed on opioid agonist therapy in physician health programs. So what are the challenges involved in treating medical students with opioid use disorder? Are there any policies about what treatments they can and can't receive? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. In our survey, looking at talking to colleagues across the country, no one has really approached this issue with any level of systemization. And that's one of the things we talk about is institutions really need to prepare for the possibility that someone may enter medical school on medically-assisted therapy. And we need to do this because our students are in clinical environments often, as the case at UCSF, often from the very beginning of medical school. And so we have certainly some institutions that students rotate out that test for, require drug tests prior to starting rotations there. And we should have policies that basically say, if you are in a medically-assisted treatment program for substance use disorder, that's an acceptable form of therapy as long as the student remains in treatment for their substance use disorder. I think the other thing we recognized is that clinicians who cared for this student who may have been aware of his substance use disorder were not aware that, for example, substance use disorder in remission may be a protected disability for which the student could receive accommodations as long as they are appropriately treated. And not having policies on how we identify, monitor, support students who have substance use disorder, and for this particular instance, it was opioid use disorder, but any substance use disorder is really not compatible with making sure that our students are prepared to engage in the clinical education that they need to engage with. So you also raised the issue of legal matters. What kinds of legal issues do graduating medical students with a history of opioid use disorder face when they enter the workforce? And what can schools do to prepare them? Graduating medical students ultimately will need to do a residency program. And what's particularly challenging about helping them prepare is that every state has a different way of dealing with individuals who have a history of or current substance use disorder. Many of them will allow licensure to happen, but will require the physician, the MD, after they've graduated to participate in a monitoring program to ensure both their safety and the safety of the patients around them. And so it doesn't help us to not disclose this to students that you can have a career in medicine if you have a history of substance use disorder. And pursuing that career may require you to disclose and participate in monitoring programs. And I think that's something that medical schools could help the students prepare for and help them become as healthy as possible before they transition to the next phase of their career. Finally, going back to something you said earlier, the issue of stigma, what can medical school administrators and individual clinicians do to help mitigate that stigma that's associated with being a medical student or a physician who has opioid use disorder? We've tackled stigma for many forms of mental illness in medical education and residency training, and it's become much more common for people to talk openly about issues of depression and suicidality, anxiety disorders, as well as learning differences. 
And so we can learn from that trajectory that medical schools undertook. It used to be that people with depression would never talk about that to their colleagues or their administrators would never acknowledge that they needed time off for their clinical rotations to go to a therapy session or to have medications adjusted. And so I think what we have to do is recognize that this is another form of a serious brain disease that requires us to first talk about it openly. So our class just started, and next week they will have an entire session led by our associate dean on students that talks not only about mental illness and what to do if you're suffering from mental illness or have concerns about a colleague suffering from mental illness, but we will talk specifically about opioid use disorder, alcoholism, and other substance use disorders as we want the students to begin to understand them as complex chronic brain diseases. And we'll talk specifically about how schools can support students who um, have these challenges in their past or who relapse while they are in medical school. We are excellent at individualizing education needs for students who have disabilities but are otherwise excellent students as this student was. And I think, too, if we begin to talk about this openly as a condition that can affect even high-functioning medical students, It will not only decrease the stigma of dealing with opioid use disorder and other substance use disorders in our colleagues, but it will change the way people look at their patients because they will realize that opioid use disorders have no boundaries. They can affect anyone from any walk of life. And whether or not you or I suffer from them, we have to meet our colleagues and our patients where they are and help them access the best treatment they can to go on to live happy and productive lives. Thank you, Dr. Lucy.